Welcome to SatNuts, the podcast. I'm your host, Drew Klein, VP of Seacom Satellite Systems. What is a SatNut? SatNuts are the shrewd, engaging characters from the space and SATCOM business. Yes, they do exist. This podcast is where we discuss past decisions, current markets, and future endeavors. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Seacom Satellite Systems. Seacom is a pioneer and world leader in the mobile auto-pointing satellite antenna business. The company has sold more than 9,000 systems into over 100 countries. The product line includes vehicle-mounted driveaways, transportable case-based flyaways, backpack man-pack antennas, and fixed motorized products. All come with Seacom's proprietary view controller system, which enables users to find broadband via satellite with just the push of a button. Seacom is also in late-stage development, partnered with the University of Waterloo, of a revolutionary KA-band electronically steerable phased array antenna technology that has the potential to forever change the antenna business. The company is publicly traded on the Canadian Venture Exchange under the symbol CMI and on the US OTC under the symbol CYSNF. Visit the website at www.c-comsat.com. That's www.c-comsat.com. It's SatNuts episode 00005. And what else is there to do when locked in a vacancy but talk to awesome people? Maybe drink some bourbon while talking to awesome people? I recorded this episode May 8th, 2020, sober, with a very interesting gentleman by the name of Charles Nahabedian. Yeah, I said it right. Charles has spent his more than 50-year career as a veteran in radio communications, in entrepreneurship, and in higher education. He was an adjunct professor for a decade at Fairleigh Dickinson University and was one of the key engineers involved in one of the first cordless phone technologies. Charlie's new project is called Video Call. That's with a K, video, K-A-L-L. And their solution is called Clinic Stop. Clinic Stop is a specialized unmanned medical kiosk which contains a patented medical chair where the patient can do multiple vital tests without the need for an on-site doctor or nurse. The results are sent to a remote doctor, nurse, or specialist who the patient can then speak to via video conference from anywhere in the world, even in the remote locations where no terrestrial infrastructure exists. I love this technology. I love its possibilities for both the satellite community and for the medical community. If SATCOM and medicine made sweet love, this platform would be their baby. It's, it's telemedicine in full effect. Take the kiosk by vehicle anywhere. Boom, you've got a mobile doctor's office. Place the kiosk at high traffic locations like supermarkets or truck stops or retirement homes or drugstores. And boom, you've got an unmanned walk-in clinic. Amazing technology, huge potential, especially during a global pandemic and when we are desperately still trying to provide medical care to the billions who live without it. I'll let Charlie tell you the whole story. Please welcome Charles Nahabedian from Video Call. Charlie, let's get right into it. You come from a, a very blue-collar background. Your, your father was a uh, immigrant from Armenia, and you're a first-generation American. Yeah, my my dad had four sons, 
Uh, one day he came home and he said, I don't understand. I got four sons and none of them want to go into the dry cleaning business. And that was a smart ass back then. And uh, I said, Dad, you've come home every day since I was a kid and told us what a lousy business it is. We've been listening to you. Um, but, to, but to his credit, uh, as an immigrant with a sixth grade education, came to this country, learned the language and built a business that supported a family of eight children. He indeed wanted his children not to have to have struggled as much as he did. And so that was his goal. But in any event, um, what was probably more impressive on me is that when any one of us got sick, and by the way, mom didn't drive, which was traditional uh, as an immigrant also, Dad had to leave a store and drive us to the next town to see the family doctor. So uh, it was a major inconvenience for us to see a doctor. And uh, you know, even at that early age, I, I realized that there has to be an improved uh, way of accessing healthcare. But it wasn't until I started comparing notes with my co-founders and my telecom background that we're able actually to pull everything together to solve healthcare access in a, in a completely new and different way. Clinic Stop is a fascinating technology. Basically, it's, a, it's an unmanned micro health clinic that has the potential to change the traditional healthcare visit as we know it. Can you tell us a little bit about this offering for the telemedicine market, where you're at now and, and where you're going? Sure. Um, we're ready to take orders for what we call our smart medical chair, which is primarily the instruments uh, that are in our cabin, our enclosed cabin. Um, and uh, a remote medical person can indeed uh, screen, monitor, and uh, uh, do a physical exam workup of that patient uh, for diagnosis and uh, hopefully immediate treatment. We got our first letter of interest uh, is from a company called Welltower, which is a $4 billion real estate investment trust that owns 1,400 senior living um, and senior assisted living location. And uh, so our first trial will be in either the community I'm living in or one of its sister locations in the greater DC area. Second trial will probably be with a national supermarket chain that's anxious to put them in their 400 locations where they have pharmacies so they can compete better with mini clinics. And then we have a, uh, we have a truck manufacturer that wants to sponsor units at truck stops where truckers have bad health and bad schedules. And uh, recently we've had inquiries from Indian reservations because of the inadequate health access across reservations and the high incidence of COVID-19 right now. So um, th there are a variety of uh, you know, market segments that are inadequately being addressed by man clinics. And so we, we offer a really good solution for those locations. We are taking orders on the cabin, uh, which is a fully enclosed unit with all those instruments, uh, plus supplemental systems 
so that it can operate completely unattended. Uh, the patient goes in on their own, gets the exam, and walks out with a prescription. There are some medicines that you can't prescribe safely if you don't have a good understanding of their blood pressure, their heartbeat, their oxygen level, whether they have congestion in their lungs or not. You know, they'll give you a, an antibiotic and that may not be the right uh, or the right antibiotic or the right medicine. So how does the price of this solution compare with other forms of, of health care and other forms of telemedicine that are that are actively being pursued today? What's most popular today, especially because of the COVID-19 virus, is telehealth in general and in particular the virtual exams that you can do from your PC or your smartphone uh, or even a telephone. Those are not necessarily on-demand services. And uh, the cost of our uh, service would be uh, a little bit higher than them, but not much. Uh, the difference is uh, we have a full set of instruments. So the first visit, the patient gets a complete examination and a uh, much better uh, accurate diagnosis. Uh, the other form in the marketplace is the mini clinic, and we provide a somewhat comparable service to that. Uh, but instead of having the nurse practitioner in the clinic, uh, our nurse practitioners or doctors are tens or hundreds of miles away. But our service is less expensive, and because of a lower cost structure, we expect that we'll have many more locations of our unit than there are mini clinics. Is the smarts of your product really in the chair or is it somewhere in the kiosk or the combination of the two? The smarts are basically end-to-end. -end. We've got a fully integrated end-to-end -end solution with a single software architecture. So our software platform controls the mobile app the patient may have, the check-in terminal outside the clinic, all of the equipment uh, in the cabin, which includes the medical devices and the video phone, uh, it controls the telecommunications and it controls the software to control the cabin, what's going on inside it, and monitoring directly the measurements from those instruments. Can you explain how, how you're using the clinic stock with, with satellite technology? Sure. Uh, satellite is very critical to our deployment uh, for several reasons. Number one, we believe we can get more consistent performance from the satellite link compared to internet services. It also gives us the reach to get into rural areas, uh, which uh, generally need better healthcare access. And uh, thirdly, uh, it gives us um, a lower cost structure for early deployment uh, so that uh, uh, where we need to add or move cabins or other patient devices like our smart chair, uh, we can provide the connectivity more easily. With the current COVID crisis happening with a huge demand and, and burden being placed on the health business, do you see a big demand coming for the smart medical chair and, and the microclinic? Uh, yes, and for different reasons. The, the clinic very nicely uh, is suited for 
uh, patients with COVID-19 or for that matter, other illnesses, because number one, we clean the instruments that the patient handles after the patient leaves. And we also sanitize the cabin between patients. The patient is entering an environment that is more sanitary than most uh, doctors' waiting room, and probably only beat by an ICU. The chair is also attractive because it can be placed more economically in more places. And if it's put in a confined area, uh, such as a medical tent for temporary uh, housing of patients or a quiet room, uh, there are portable sanitizing units that could indeed uh, sanitize the entire chair after each patient use. And most of the applications or use cases we've seen for the chair would probably have an attendant, and that attendant could manually uh, wipe down the uh, patient handle instruments. So uh, there are different uses uh, depending on uh, for each of those units. You know, other than the maybe the cleanliness issue, are there are some other pushback or arguments against the uh, smart medical chair that you're that you're dealing with uh, on a daily basis that you have to fight against. Uh, we did some uh, early market research, which included one study just on doctors and healthcare workers. Basically, the feedback was they saw value in what we were doing. Uh, they would recommend it for their family and friends. Some of them, indeed, a significant amount saw it as competition, but they also saw value in it if we kept the primary care physician in the loop, meaning if I had was ill and I went to one of our uh, cabins, at the end of that visit, my primary care physician would get a report on that visit. Now, today, you know, if you go to a, a telehealth provider like Teladoc or MD Live, they have a record on you from your visits to them, but your PCP, your primary care physician is out of the loop. You can go to a mini clinic or an urgent care center. And again, your primary care physician doesn't get any report. Uh, we're proposing to keep the primary care physician in the loop if the patient gives us permission. So we've not had any pushback. As a matter of fact, uh, we have a five uh, office medical practice that signed up to be a medical provider for the full state of Maryland. Uh, because they see it as an opportunity uh, to better serve their constituents and those beyond, and they see it a natural extension of what they currently do. That's great. It's very interesting that you are, are seeing such a thing, because you're going to need doctors in many different locations who can speak the many different languages if you plan to, say, put these micro clinics, these kiosks into remote locations all over the world. Is that the long-term goal for, for video call to be able to put these uh, kiosks and, and micro chairs in various places all around the world? Uh, generally speaking, yes. But uh, we'll do it under different uh, sets of circumstances for each state or country. And we'll do it uh, differently depending on the environmental requirements. So, for example, we did a, a proposal to the Congo. We were invited to give a proposal 
It was sponsored by a Belgium hospital that supports the Congo. The miners uh, had high incidence of TB and other illnesses, and they would have to truck them or fly them, including their mining management, out to a big city hospital to get examined uh, and then presumably provide treatment. So we gave them a proposal where we used a converted seat container uh, and we put multiple cabins in there. And we also had some additional medical equipment, a power generator and the like. So if a miner was not feeling well, they could go inside, get examined by a doctor in Belgium, and then be prescribed the appropriate treatment. And uh, eventually that medical provider function would have been transferred to the Congo, to a hospital in the Congo. Uh, but in any event, we also had a truck that was equipped, uh, again, because a satellite, we could take that around to the smaller mines and the smaller villages. And so that was a complete proposal uh, a little bit too expensive for the mining company by themselves. Uh, we didn't have the bandwidth to explore other funding sources like the government. Uh, but I think uh, it illustrates what we'll be able to do depending on the requirements in a particular country. Uh, the other point you mentioned is an excellent one. Uh, when we deploy in other countries, we will uh, basically have local partners. And one of those partners would indeed include a software developer that can convert from our English to the foreign language of choice or foreign languages of choice uh, so that it can be more easily uh, acceptable uh, by, the, by the users. So for, for the investors in this business, um, where's the money? Is the money in the software? Is the money in the the service or the insurance, how, how does an investor, you know, where are you at in terms of investors, by the way, and, and maybe you could tell us a little bit more about, about, about that, but I'm very curious to know is, you know, how do you make, how do you make money from this? Uh, we, let's, let's address that question. Uh, we make money by either sale or lease of the equipment, meaning the cabin or the smart medical chair, the terminals at the remote medical provider. That, as I said, is either purchase or a lease, and we have third-party vendors. Uh, we also uh, uh, have a maintenance contract once the warranty ends, uh, which also provides some ongoing revenue. But most importantly, those revenue streams cover the endpoints of equipment. And we, we need to cover the cost of satellite service. We need to cover the cost of the medical practitioner. And uh, we have support services that we provide that we also need to cover. Uh, so we would collect a uh, platform use fee from the medical provider who presumably is in the collections business for that medical service. And uh, uh, we would indeed have that revenue would continue to grow uh, as we get uh, more patients uh, using the platform in more places. The, the business model builds very nicely, not only on the architecture, but based on coverage of costs for the functions uh, that, we, that we offer. 
my best friend is a is a urologist. He's uh, he's described to me in detail how the current you know COVID uh, disaster has totally changed, upended his normal day to day operations. He's spending hours of his days on telemedicine visits, and and in fact, he told me about eighty percent of the time. He doesn't need to physically touch the patient. He can do it through pictures or video or FaceTime. They all work. He can do the diagnosis in under one minute in most cases. Would it would it increase dramatically in terms of the number of patients that could be seen on a daily basis? The answer is yes. Um, the um, medical doctors, we've got two active on our team, and we've got two others, one a pulmonologist, one a cardiologist that are uh, advisors. and. They have consistently indicated to us that a typical full exam would take around 10 minutes when the doctor knows the patient, and that makes a huge difference. And so that's the leverage that your personal doctor has, uh, whether it's a specialist or not, versus a, uh, a doctor at American Well or Teladoc uh, that has casual knowledge of you, if any at all. Uh, so... Uh, if if our uh, if we pull records of that patient before the visit, so that our medical people can see your past history and your current uh, situation, they have almost the same familiarity as your personal doctor. And so we think that if there's a need for a one-minute exam, it, it'll be a one-minute exam, but. In most cases, we think it'll be more like five or 10 minutes. So how many can we do in an hour? Uh, if they were 10-minute visits and we've got about a five or six-minute cycle between visits for the sanitization, uh, we're uh, believing that we can get about three patients per hour. Now, it's possible if one of those visits is more like five minutes, we could get four, four visits in that hour. Uh, but in any event, uh, on an eight-hour day, uh, that would be, you know, somewhere between 24 and 32 visits. Uh, CVS is experiencing around 11 patients per day, on average, across all their clinics, uh, uh, you know, averaged over a year. They've got 1,200 uh, mini clinics out there out of their almost 10,000 stores. Uh, they can't afford to put man clinics in more locations because it would be more uneconomical than, than the current ones are. Uh, we believe, number one, there's a great opportunity for placement of our units, but uh, more importantly, because we have a lower cost structure, uh, we can uh, provide a lower price service than those, and uh, we'll have enough capacity to meet the demand in terms of patients per hour or patients per day. You are a U.S. Army veteran, correct? Yes. Vietnam was uh, uh, support and maintenance of a tropospheric scatter communication system, uh, clearly radio. And uh, we had something like 20 radio sites uh, across South Vietnam. I got to visit every one of them uh, at least once. And uh, uh, I elected to go into ROTC and get a commission and serve. Uh, I could have gotten a medical uh, waiver, but I talked the doctor out of it because I wanted to uh, serve. And so that was a very um, 
good experience in terms of uh, exposure to uh, tropospheric scatter systems and uh, an opportunity to exercise leadership. Uh, when I get back, I was assigned to the electronic warfare lab and had the opportunity to do some very inventive work to uh, develop a, a very accurate radio direction finding systems uh, so that we could sniff out enemy transmitters through triangulation and uh, made a, a, a good contribution there, which again uh, was experience in the radio business. And when I decided to go out into the commercial world to get my first job, I was a natural fit in something called the mobile telephone department at Bell Labs, where my teams invented the first cordless phone, uh, where I, uh, my, uh, another one of my teams did the coin telephones on the high-speed train uh, between New York and Washington, uh, which was early pre-cellular, but was based on the cellular concept. And then I worked on early cellular work in a lot of other telecom system. So um, the, the experience in the Army um, was good for my leadership opportunity uh, development, and it was uh, excellent for uh, giving me a more solid background in the whole radio uh, engineering space. So, so uh, about two years ago, I wrote a white paper. It was called The Case for a Global Telemedicine Vehicle Network basically bringing doctors' offices on wheels, connecting patients to uh, specialists, doctors, nurses, anywhere, anytime. I, I intimated if you built 200,000 mobile clinics to serve half the world at a cost of under 2% of annual global healthcare expenditures, you could serve 3.5 billion people, uh, basically all the people who have no access to basic primary healthcare. And, and most of those are the same people who have no access to basic communications that lack the internet. Is this product, is your solution uh, going to be used in such a way where we might be able to start serving those who don't have access to basic primary health care? Or is it going to be beneficial mostly to those in the first world who have access to it but live in medical deserts or some, some distance away from, from appropriate health care? Uh, there are mobile clinics today uh, sponsored by university hospitals. They're sponsored by federally subsidized clinics and a variety of, of other uh, uh, systems uh, and entities. But almost all of those uh, have a medical person on them, a doctor, a doctor and a nurse. Uh, and so you're dedicating a medical person to be driving that around 50 or 100 miles or 200 miles a day. And so that time driving is really poor utilization of that medical expertise. Uh, you've got ambulatory services, uh, which we have in you know, all our major cities. And uh, there are paramedics there uh, who have a certain amount of medical skills and are obviously needed as first responders for that purpose. But they're also linked by telemedicine, usually to the ER, so that they can get the right expertise. We define a whole new space because we're talking about putting the equivalent of our cabin in a van 
or a trailer or a mobile home. And Drew, you or I, with no medical background, could drive that around. And the patient could be connected when we stop, that is. The patient could be connected to a, a doctor or a specialist, a nurse practitioner, and they could get their expert medical diagnosis and a treatment plan uh, without having a doctor or a nurse driving that vehicle around. And satellite is so important for that kind of service. And uh, we're exploring partnerships with firms that could support that concept. And it, as I mentioned earlier, a version of that, uh, we actually proposed for the Congo. And we found a company in South Africa that we could partner with to create those vehicles with our patient unit in it. So yes, I think uh, uh, when you look at places like Africa, India, Saudi Arabia, uh, even the Philippines, uh, as crowded as that is in some city, there is a place where you need to take a mobile medical vehicle and it doesn't take a trained medical person to drive that out there. And so, yes, I think we could do a lot to uh, improve the health of the world's rural population uh, by partnering properly uh, and being open to uh, uh, meeting the need out there. And so fast forward 10 years, uh, best case scenario, what do you see for video call and, and clinic stop? How many systems are, are out there? What's your best case scenario for the company? Well, I'd like to say that we've projected for the world, but I have to honestly say we have not. Uh, we see uh, within the United States uh, up to 30,000 locations in 10 years. Uh, and that is probably only 10% of the addressable market. So that would be quite an achievement in my opinion. Uh, that's compared to 1,200 mini clinics today. Maybe, uh, was it six or 9,000 urgent care centers? So we're talking about, you know, our patient units being in a lot more places than all of those combined. This podcast is brought to you by VideoCall. VideoCall has developed the first known telediagnosis platform for hospitals, and the company is committed to offering outstanding health care by facilitating remote physical exams in a patented unmanned medical microclinic. VideoCall's Clinic Stop platform is comprised of mobile apps for consumers to locate the nearest microclinic, an on-site medical cabin, diagnostic devices operated by a remote medical staff, as well as a robust technology network with ubiquitous connectivity, call center management, and data integration with electronic records. VideoCall's solution provides a more profitable revenue stream for hospitals and host participants. Conveniently located point-of-service units will reduce patient drive times, wait times for appointments at doctor's offices, urgent care centers, and ERs. The platform directly reduces the cost of quality outpatient services for patients with seasonal and chronic diseases, wherever they live, work, travel, and or shop. For remote health care anywhere and anytime, video call is the better solution for hospitals and consumers. Visit the website at www.videocall.com. That's www.videocall with a K, V-I-D-E-O-K-A-L-L.com. Subscribe to Satnuts, the podcast. 
Also, rate and review on Apple Music, Spotify, YouTube, SoundCloud, and anywhere fine podcasts are downloaded for free. Audio engineering provided by Ben Klein. Music provided by Bacon Jew. Special thanks to the entire CECOM staff. Stay nuts, everybody.